You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Manning loves it. Burris alone. Touchdown, New York. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. <laughs> uh, Grump and I are getting a little slap happy here uh, in our fifth week of uh, lockdown. So how's everybody doing tonight? Grump, how are you? Oh, you know, just dandy. <laughs> I, I sleep two seconds from where I work, which is also two seconds from where I pee, and two seconds from where I eat. So, I mean, that's wow. my whole life. It's all in that circle right there. So. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you've got it just about the same way, right? And you have one coworker, just like I do? I have one coworker at the uh, Cranky Fan Worldwide Headquarters. She takes up conference room A. I take up conference room B. We meet in the lounge for lunch. <laughs> the, uh, the unisex uh, restrooms are out just off of conference room B. And uh, rinse, repeat each day, our same. Do you have an HR representative? <laughs> uh, no, we don't. We are pretty much doing it on our own at this point. This is it. So somebody's got to go around and make sure that there's no violations with, uh, you know, leaving dirty cups in the in the lounge area. And oh, and I've been like... suspended from lounge activities <laughs> and uh, lounge privileges quite a bit during this adventure. So uh, <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll just leave that over there, and uh, you know, we'll just keep moving forward each day. So you know, amongst all the boredom that we we kind of are stricken with in. Uh, quarantine times uh you know not having sports is a, is a tough thing for a lot of people um us included uh in, in you know not so surprising news the xfl has not folded but has suspended all activity indefinitely um as a result of this laid off a lot of people um, it's folded uh, it's it gone. has folded it is gone yes they okay. uh they are done. I saw there was a list of creditors who they owe money to, including, you know, since this is just Giants, one of them is New Met, a New Meadowlands Stadium Inc. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they owe some rent. So, um, yeah, we hardly knew ye. Yeah, that one's unfortunate because it was not at all due to them. You know, uh, just unfortunate sign of times they had to suspend their season early just because they weren't allowed to gather crowds. So. Yeah, I mean, really quick, we can, you know, the postmortem on the XFL, and we saw it with the the All-American League earlier this year. And the bottom line is, does America really want spring football or additional football besides, you know, the NFL and college football? Yes. I mean, I think they do. They just want it to be good. That's all. Well, that's that's kind of the rub, isn't it? Well, I mean, I, I think I think it takes time to make it good. I don't think any league in its first year is going to have a good year. But I think that the XFL did have the financial backing to make it to a second season. They and I, I um, 
I just don't. I, I think they kind of just came at the worst time. I think they also rushed their first season. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, I just think, you know, we've tried so many times now. I mean, if you go back to the World League, the, you know, the WFL in the 70s, the USFL, the World League of American Football, two attempts at an XXFL, the, you know, the AAF, I mean, even the Arena League, if you want to hmm. throw that in well, there. Is mean, that still going? It is, it is folded as well. Okay. There are other, you know, minor leagues, quote unquote, of arena. The, the indoor football game is still active in different leagues around the country. They're very small, mm-hmm. you know, in very small places have it, usually like in fairground, you know, auditoriums and stuff. So it's still there. Um, but, I mean, now we're talking over 40 years. We've had like seven or eight attempts to do this. And they, for one reason or another have you know, no one's really cared. I mean, I think part of football is, you know, obviously they want the product itself, but you have to build allegiances. You have to care who wins or loses wins or caring or wins and loses. If you're a fan caring about wins or loses, if you're a gambler and you know, only the most hardcore degenerate gamblers out there were betting on the W on the, the XFL, you know, you see it on TV. You see these fans acting crazy if they're at a, you know, guardians game or something, but you know, those are probably, you know, character actors out there. So I don't know. I, I just, you know, I think it would serve the game of pro football better if there was some sort of organized minor league feeder development league probably has to be owned by the NFL so they can control it. Um, and not really care so much about making money, having 60,000 people in the stands or people even watching it. Um, if you want to watch, it's kind of like the minor leagues. If you really love it that much, you can, you can watch it. But I, I don't think other than having the NFL and college, there's really an appetite for, an audience for another league anymore, whether it's in the spring or the fall. I don't know. I, I think I think there is an appetite for it. I just don't think that this 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 doesn't fall in line with the other failed attempts because this didn't really get an attempt through outside distraction. I guess um, you know it just is what it is. We we don't know how this would have went. It certainly wasn't very entertaining for me. But again, I think they rushed this by one year. Um, it's possible. Yeah, I, I think they tried to do some creative things. The same thing with the AAF. I think tried to do with create some creative things that we both, you know, applauded them for. You know, their inside look at, um, you know, replay, expanding replay, and things like that. Um, but, but but there's a pattern with yeah. all of these leagues. Well, it's usually like, yeah. You know, the first week there's a bit of a curiosity, like, well, let's check it out and see what it is. Oh. Every league has goofy uniforms and mm-hmm. places that don't have pro football, but we know are football hotbeds. Like Orlando always seems to have a team. Birmingham. Yeah, places in the south and the Midwest, which are football hotbeds. But you see it from attendance and you see it from TV ratings that it, it drops off pretty quickly. So, I mean, I, I think we probably spent more time than we need to about this, but I just think that it's going to happen every five to 10 years that someone's going to try again. It'll do the same little pattern. You know, it's unfortunate for the XFL with the virus, but I mean, 
let's be honest. Nobody was really caring before it happened. No, certainly not anybody I know of. Um, but even without the XFL, we were able to watch some football. So the, the the point I was making with this is that you know NFL Network and, and things like that were kind of piggybacking off of they were they were riding that XFL wave to gain viewership because they knew that people who wanted to watch football would watch XFL but would really be interested in NFL stuff. So it was a good move on their part to kind of have their broadcasters and things like that involved and and to cover some XFL stuff. <clears throat> well, they didn't have that anymore. So they've been just airing classic games. Um, and over the weekend, they aired Super Bowl Forty Two, which was a nice treat for all of us Giant yeah. fans. It, it's really interesting, Grump. We're going back to a time in my life, you know, from around 2006 to 2009, where all like everything I touched turned to gold. I had two Super Bowl winners, two national championships in football, two national championships in in basketball, uh, a World Series team in baseball, I had a, a Super Bowl, I'm sorry, a, a Stanley Cup champion in hockey. I mean, now all my teams are basically shit, but back then it was just, uh, you know, I was having a ticker tape parade in my apartment every other week. It was really <laughs> fun. Yeah, um, I mean, good for you. <laughs> but, you know, the interesting thing about the game, Grump, and we, we'll talk about this on this episode, was you know, we're now, what, 11, 12 years removed from that game? That was February in 2008. You know, looking at, at that game in purely a vacuum, you know, not not at the time when you were living through that season week to week, going through the playoffs, and just kind of watching it on its own. You know, it's an interesting watch because, you know, that giant team is not going to go down in history as one of the great giant teams of all time, even though they've won a Super Bowl. I don't think you can say that really about either of the two Super Bowl champions of the uh, the Coughlin era. And how that, how that game was played, how that game was won, I think is definitely let's go back and review it a little bit, because it was, uh, you know, watching it is different than remembering what you remember from the game. Well, before we get into that, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I do think that this one is going to be discussed as one of the best teams. I don't think it will ever be confused with the best Giants team in history, but when you look at what that team had in terms of a future Hall of Fame quarterback on it, and you you can only look at it in hindsight now, so I mean that's kind of the way you have to look at it, a future Hall of Fame quarterback, a wide receiver like Plaxico Burris who was in the top 10, arguably top 5 in the league at the time, um, you know, and, and a defensive front seven that you know had Michael Strahan, who is a Hall of Famer, um, and, and you know Justin Tuck and OCU Minora, you know all these guys. That was that was a great team, and it was evident in 2008 when they looked like they were going to repeat. Um, it didn't end up that way, and I certainly don't think you can say that about the 2011 team, but. You know what they were able to do um, so dominantly on the road. You know it it goes down in history. I don't think it's it's in comparison to that '90 team, um, and certainly not the '86. No, the definitely 80s. not the yes. But but I mean, I think it warrants that this it it gets in the discussion of greatest, not the greatest. 
I think it was a very good team. I don't think it was a great team. Um, and I think, I mean, they were. They well, they were, were do, can we were, do we agree that it was better than the two thousand one team? Uh, that that team was pretty good too. I remember they 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 the best team in the conference. They blew out who everybody. They're the winning. They they're the number one seed in the conference. They blew out the best team in the conference, that Minnesota team. And they ran into a you know a a buzzsaw great defense that was peaking in Bal- in Baltimore at the time. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I it mean, was a good team, but I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, don't. I don't think I, it compares. I, mean, I I think they're properly rated as a ten and six team. Ten and six teams are very good. Ten and six teams aren't great. And I think that's what I think that's what it was. I think watching this game kind of showed that there was a very good team that had units and pockets of greatness in it and or, or units that played at peak performance in this game um but you know i don't think goes down as you know let's see there's been what 50 53 super bowls i mean i i, I guess they're, yeah go ahead they're not they're not in the top 25 of those best teams Maybe. It, it's just interesting because, you know, like you said, there are pockets of, of greatness amongst an otherwise good team, and yet it fed directly into a 2008 one seed. I think that lends itself to what you're saying is, is correct. There were pockets of greatness. They were ready to build on something great, and yet it all fell apart the next year. But, I mean, you know, if Plaxico Burris doesn't accidentally shoot himself – you know, maybe they don't win the Super Bowl, but I think they might have gone fifteen and one in that in that season. They weren't. They, were, they weren't. That, they weren't that good. They were unstoppable. <laughs> in the season, I, I don't think that team was fifteen and one worthy. I, I don't. I mean, they they might have they might have outplayed their their opponents based on you know who they played and stuff, and their record might have been better where they were. But that team was not an was not an all time great team. Because one person being gone doesn't all of a sudden knock you down to, you know, averageness. And after Plexico got went down, they were an average team. Well, I think I think they were just average because there was no there was no big play wide receiver anymore, and they weren't built for anything else. And I think one of the things that separates the Bill Belichick's from the Tom Coughlin's um, is. The ability to pivot, I don't think, is within Tom Coughlin. I think he builds a team, and it's next man up. But if that next man up can't do the job, he's just going to have to do the job. And if he's not good enough, then the team suffers. There's no there's no strategy pivot or anything like that where the first half of the New England Patriots is different from quarters three and four. They can come out with a completely new game plan and execute it perfectly fine. Um and, and and I think that's what made that 2008 team suffer. I, I you know it just it was what it was. There was no other six five wide receiver who can run a four five, you know, on the team as there usually aren't. Um, yeah, that's true. That's very. True. But I mean, that was just the Kevin Gilbride offense demanded a lot of that. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, we we right. can argue at length about the greatness sure. and whatever. But what's really interesting about going back to that game is. Um, it's just kind of boring, isn't it? I mean, in that fourth quarter, even watching it now, I still feel nervous. But at the time, I you know, in 2008, in February 2008, I don't remember 
it's hard to remember being underwhelming as as just a spectator. You know, when you're invested in it, it's it's you know defensive stop after defensive stop after defensive, and it's it's kind of got you on the edge. But as somebody who's not invested in it, just a casual, I don't know, Browns fan watching it, it's not really exciting until that fourth quarter, is it? No, and again, you know. We have to look at this. We I can't look at this game as a unbiased person. I am I am looking at this game as a giant fan. And disclosure also, um, I was actually at the game. Grump was not at the game, so I have a different perspective than even he does of how the game, how I watch the game. So uh, my thing about that game was, you know, he had so many subplots going into that game and everything, and. You know, obviously, as you get further and further along in the playoffs, every play matters, every play counts. Every, you kind of hold your breath with each one. So, my recollection of actually being there originally, you know, for the first time, was I can't breathe during these three hours. Mm-hmm. And and to me, the low scoring game, I just remember at the time thinking, this is this is a replay of that Super Bowl against Buffalo, where that we were clearly playing against a better offense than what we had. And yet we were controlling time of possession. We were controlling uh, yardage. We were doing everything we can to keep to shorten the game and give us a shot. So, you know, that first half, you know, that that's it. The, the New England offense wasn't doing much of anything. Neither were we. And it was just, it was frustrating that, I remember having a sense of frustration more that we were blowing opportunities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like, God, with everything we've done this game, why are we just, you know, why is it seven, three, you know, we, in Super Bowls, especially when you're not the better team, you have to make those little extra plays that are just, you know, you have to stretch another three inches with your fingertips to catch a ball. And it's ironic because in the fourth quarter, one of the greatest catches of all time happens, which is the definition of the extra effort of a play. But, you know, we really didn't do anything in that first half that was just like got the extra yard, made the great catch, you know, uh, a defensive play that was just like, wow. Well, I, I disagree with that. I think offensively, I agree with. But defensively, I think every time we were able to stop such a high-powered offense was that extra bit. You know, it it wasn't necessarily an Antonio Pierce kind of play in 2007 in, in, in Green Bay where he takes on three blockers and still makes a tackle on a screen play that would have went for a touchdown. But they were just little things. Tom Brady was like glassy-eyed by halftime. I mean, every time they got home, they found a way to get home and, and tipped passes by Michael Strahan. Those little things really, really limited the best offense in all arguably in in NFL history I think at the time right I think so you're right but that's not what I'm talking about like we we were making him glassy like cuz we were better our defensive line was better than their offensive line in that mm-hmm. game we yeah. were getting to him that was not fluky that wasn't like you know the little extra effort the 50-50 play that went in our favor that was we were just dominating the line of scrimmage what I'm talking what I'm talking about is the little something like you know, a pick of like out of nowhere that, you know, either gives us great field position or is a quick seven points. Like we didn't have any of those things in the game that kind of would have been more of a difference maker. We were, we were grinding out dominating that first half. 
by just simply whipping them on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that's 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 true. What what is interesting is how this game was such the antithesis to the week 17 matchup, which was just running up the score on both sides for both teams. Yeah, I, I want to have a, this conversation with you about that game because I think that game I know now in legend now it's one of those well the Giants, you know, we tried to win it and and everything, but to me I take that game with a lots a lots of grain of salt. I mean, that game was a game that game really meant next to nothing for the Patriots other than going undefeated. Um, and for us, you know, it was just we're playing for respect or everything. But I think if that game would have been a week nine game or, you know, I, I think it would have been a lot different. In what way? I think they would have beat us. <laughs> I, I think, they, you know, again, you know, in the back of Belichick's mind is, you know, we have a bye and we're going to the playoffs. The focus is. You know, winning the Super Bowl and everything. Well, I was going to so, say, how, how do you quantify how much it meant to them? It's interesting to me. Well, because I, I think you're, the goal of your season is to win a championship. The mm. goal isn't, you know, I mean, it's not like they were just like, they didn't bench, you know, Brady and do what you know, teams do now in week 17. I mean, they, they, were, they were trying to win, but I don't think, you know, Subconsciously, were they spending the entire week, every moment of preparation for week 17, or were they maybe spending a little time thinking about the three week plan before they play again? I don't know. Well, who are you talking about, coaches or players? Uh, both. I think players are playing to win every game, and I think that it meant. Yeah, I would say, yeah, that's true. I would say coaches more than players. Players are trying to win. No, no players out there half assing and thinking about thinking the about the, the week off. Yeah, I agree. Right. It, but I think I think the coaches are. I think they're more professional than players. I think they are more emotionless about the big picture than players are too, because they're coaches. They're older. They're not. It's not the same competitive juice as a coach as you are as a player. And and I think this is somewhat. This theory is somewhat confirmed in that Steve Spagnuolo said that he was not allowed to bust out his full defensive playbook. For that game. Yeah. Because remember, right, the Giants were going to the playoffs too. So it's kind of like and, and maybe not necessarily thinking, well, we'll play the Patriots in four weeks in the Super Bowl, but But just so that they wanted things off of film for their other opponents. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So yes, it's it's a great story and it's a great prologue to this game itself. But you know, I, I think you know, a lot of, during the broadcast, and we'll talk about the broadcast too as part of this. But a lot of it was made like reference, like, well, in this game they did this. Now in this one, it's this. It's to me, it's really apples and oranges. But you know, that game seventeen was I'm not saying it was a glorified scrimmage, but it's not a true all-out, you know, regular season game. So, mm-hmm. so let's talk about. Um... The broadcast then. I, I, I just want to say that we're blessed to have in the four – in the five Super Bowl appearances, the Giants have had probably the best national anthem for any sporting event ever in one of them and easily the best halftime show this century. I mean has there really been a better one than Tom Petty? This century? Oh, Prince. Oh, okay. Clearly better. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. 
And 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 here's the unfortunate thing about being at the game and in a dome: the sound is not very good. No, it, because that that halftime show isn't for you guys. That's for the TV. Right. Correct. Correct. Um, the the things that stood out for me about the broadcast itself is a how much better I think Joe Buck is in 2020 than he even was in 2008. Thank you. I'm gonna, I just want to stop you right there because this is often referenced as one of the reasons why he's such a bad commentator, and I think it's not taken in time capsule. I think he was just not as good yet. Um, he has changed from being my least favorite commentator to one of my favorite football commentators because of how much better he's gotten. Well, remember now, he's not a commentator. He's a play-by-play guy. There's okay. complete, You're completely right. different roles. You know, the play-by-play guy versus the color commentator. He was, and he's admitted this. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've listened to a couple of podcasts with him. He was on uh, Bill Simmons recently talking about it. And I've seen him on other interview shows that, remember, his father was Jack Buck. Mm-hmm. And Jack Buck was one of those classic old-school baseball announcers, like a, like a Vince Scully who liked to have the game – and the sounds of the game tell the story almost as much as he is. He didn't want to ever upstage the game. And Joe Buck purposely tried to call a game like his dad. Understated, not very emotional, and just kind of like playing it close to the, the vest. And you can see now that he's not he like said, that at all. He's not like that at all. Now, he's not a screaming maniac. Um I think he dials it up to just where he needs to be right now. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, as you're watching the game and, you know, I don't want to give spoilers out, but when David Tyree makes the amazing catch, um, there's just a big pregnant pause. It's a very underwhelming call. And actually, I'm going to get in a second, talk about uh, Troy Aikman. He has the best, the, uh, the reaction to it. He actually is like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean it was just like that's that's the kind of like I think everybody was just in such shock of the play that the combination of Buck's style and just that people were kind of speechless about it makes it's not going to be ever be one of those iconic calls you always hear like regardless not at all of it, it, in fact yeah. I think it gets a dishonorable mention for, yeah. for such an exciting moment it sure is from a broadcasting standpoint just about everything you can do wrong yeah, he, he he took some hits for that, and 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 I think we're thankful that you know he has become one of those announcers, like how a Pat Summerall or or Dick Enberg was, were like, and, and Al Michaels. I know you don't like Al Michaels, but but he's now in that pantheon of it's a big game. This is a big game announcer. So I agree, and, and I think that Al Michaels has dropped from that is all. I, I think that um Al Michaels has lost his fastball. And same way that John Madden did towards the end, but you're just so conditioned to hear the voice, you're like, okay. And also like Chris Berman as well. I mean these guys have all clearly lost their fastball, but you know like Pavlov's dog, you know, you hear the voices, you hear the catchphrases. Start hear, drooling. <laughs> yeah, it's just like okay, we're back in our comfort zone. So um, one thing that was said by, I believe it was, I believe it was by Buck, when David Tyree caught that touchdown, um, freezing cold take. That's the biggest catch of his life. Yes, I. That is one of my, it's, it's Buck, and that is uh, one of my favorite quotes from that Super Bowl. He catches a touchdown, um, 
in the back of the end zone just kind of as a, a, a wild little crossing route. And really, he's only free because he's David Tyree. He's the blocking wide receiver. He's probably the fourth most paid attention to on that roster. Maybe even fifth if you consider a running back. Or Kevin Boss, for that matter. Um, And yeah, he he referenced it as the biggest catch of his life about 15, 20 minutes before the biggest catch in Super Bowl history. Which leads me to a question for you, Grump. Should David Tyree be the MVP of that game? I mean, he had the touchdown catch. Mm -hmm. He had, you know, the miracle catch to which really, you know, I'm going to talk about that drive in two seconds, but really changed that drive. Is that you know the, the Giants were going nowhere before that, and he also had a huge special teams play. If you remember, he had the tackle mm-hmm. um, right after that touchdown. Right after that, so 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 they had a start like on their own, like I don't know, before the twenty five yard line, I believe. So what's interesting is that Eli Manning didn't really play a great game from a statistical standpoint. And I think that he really kind of struggled for the most part uh, of generating a whole lot of movement. He didn't play poorly, but he played just well enough, I think. Yeah, I I mean, and I'm going to go as far as I'm going to read to you what happened on that last drive. Just before we get that, I I think the reason he gets the MVP is because he had stunned so many people with how well he had played, you know, in the postseason run, but particularly two weeks before in Green Bay. He was... I mean, him and Plaxico Burris in that game were phenomenal. That's that irrelevant. For, that's irrelevant. For I this. agree, but those votings are never irrelevant. You know, I mean, quarterbacks all, quarterbacks are always almost always going to get that award, whether they deserve it or not. I mean, it, it's just kind of just the way it is. But you know, I, I was jotting down notes on uh, little post-it notes as I was watching the game and going back over that final drive. Um. We have – let me see. Here we start off. Well, the, let me just preface it by saying it was an ugly drive. Yeah. He threw – he overthrew over the middle. He threw a back foot throw out of bounds. He was short on third down. Uh, Jacobs gets runs for on the fourth down, just barely gets the first down. He Eli then fumbles on a scramble. Mm-hmm. Another back foot pass. One that should have been – the Asani Samuel should have been picked. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, one of the great what-ifs in uh, NFL history. And then, you know, then has the, the Tyree catch. And then it's still not a, a given before, you know. No, because still, they had to get another first down. They had to get another first down. Which I would say still, was more scheme and Steve Smith just having good awareness on the field. Right. It was choppy. But I will say, you know, the touchdown pass to Burris was just everything. Talk about everything being perfect. Mm-hmm. The play call, you know, the little look that Eli gives, the move Plexico makes, you know, and it's just a perfect throw. So, you know. That was like a pro day. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. But, I mean, really, if you look back on that drive, it was just – and I remember being at the game just like, oh, this isn't going to go well. And I remember, you know, right before we got that last first down, I actually did throw up at the game. I had one of those big Super Bowl cups of beer and, you know, just the nerves. And you know, this is after the helmet catch. This is we get that first down and I just yacked right in my beer cup. <laughs> I couldn't most stressful drive I've ever had in my life, college or pro. 
And, you know, it's just amazing that, you know, it actually worked out. And, you know, the stress didn't end there. I mean, going back when, you know, Brady's got the ball and he's got, you know, four shots at it. The sack was enormous. Mm-hmm. First yeah, down. the Jay Alfred sack. Yeah. just added, And that, that really, again, that was going on all game. That wasn't a fluky fluke. That was... <laughs> that was just wearing down of the offensive line, I think, at that point. Yeah. I mean, Jay Alfred was a bust draft. And, you know, that might be the only real stat of note that he had in his career. That Could one be. sack. Yeah. Then the third down where... Moss was open, and at the last minute, who was it? Was it was Aaron Ross or who was it? I think somebody. It, yeah, I'm not sure. Broke up the pass at the last second, where when I was where I was sitting, I was sitting on the goal line, third level, coming. I was coming like in my direction, and when I first tracked Moss, he was open. And oh, I was he, like, he. I mean, you can see it like, even on on the broadcast that he is about two or three steps. It's just so far downfield that Brady had to underthrow it. Oh God! And it was just one of those ex- exhale of just. Oh. <laughs> and then you know, it's just one of those. You just can't believe it when it's when it's over. It's like you're you're not even thinking about. The Patriots. You're not even thinking about they're undefeated. You know that's you know I don't worry about. No, that. that's you're looking at it play to play. It was just like we just survived and holy shit, we just won the Super Bowl. And again, for you know, now that we're now you can t- bring the lens back up a little bit, and it's, it's such a weird five year run, you know, seven year run of the Giants. How there was it was such boomer bust. Yeah, you know. Super Bowls are pretty much nothing, and uh, yeah, it was just crazy. Um, other things I was thinking of during the game, like things I wrote down. Um, they showed Jeremy Shockey. Yeah. Up in a, and you know, I, when did he break his leg in that season? Towards the end of the season, right? Like seven or eight. Oh, really? It was that soon? I, I think it was, and then that's remember when Kevin Boss kind of took over. Boss had a huge first down catch like for 35 40 yards in that mm-hmm. too and it was just like i was just so happy because i mean everybody knows my hatred of jeremy shockey i think he's not only the most overrated player possibly in giants history i just think he's the biggest prick in giants history you know he cost us the 2003 uh playoff game in san francisco as much as the referees did the guy was always a self-serving prick you know, typical guy from Miami, and just to see him sitting up in the in the uh, booth, you know, helpless and he can't do anything to me. That's his just re- rewards for being a prick. So it was interesting seeing him up there. Um, Troy Aikman was in just classic, you know, vanilla mode. I mean, the guy never has had a everything he says is either obvious or safe or just vanilla. It's just like, why does this guy have this gig? <laughs> and you know something? And twelve years later, same. He's even worse. He's actually. What's hilarious is his Twitter account. You should follow. He's yeah, actually. I, he's actually pretty pretty good on Twitter. It's almost like he doesn't he have is. the boss over his shoulder telling him not to write what he's. You know. And it's ironic because you know he does games on Fox, and you know Fox. You know, they're they're really revolutionized the football broadcast when it, when it went from CBS to Fox by being a lot more looser. You know, 
the different camera angles and the, and the, the, the clock continues on the screen and you know every guy who sounds like Matt Millen with their guy talk and stuff but you know he's he's worse now than he was 12 years ago um i don't know what 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 uh what struck out for you what oh my last point was thinking about it when they showed Coughlin with the the Super Bowl trophy um is Coughlin a Hall of Famer i don't know maybe i i i think it wouldn't be absurd um, I think that it's a little early to make the decision, um, but I think he deserves to be on the ballot. I think it can be discussed amongst you know the people who vote for this thing because of what he was able to do in Jacksonville, um, what he did with the Giants. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to say that. I mean, I kind of feel like. If Eli goes in, so did Coughlin. I know they're player versus coach, but yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, I mean, Eli doesn't win those two Super Bowls. I'd say it's less than fifty-fifty chance he gets in, and I think you know Coughlin. Don't forget about the whole thing with Jacksonville. I mean, he went to a conference championship in the second year of the franchise. Yeah, that is you know that to me is more impressive than winning. The Super Bowl with these two giant teams. I mean, you you have an Eli Manning, you have you know the great you know defense and other things we discussed before. You have solid teams, but for him to do that, you know, it's it's an interesting case because you can make the same arguments for him that you can about uh, Eli. You know, a, a lot of years not making the playoffs and the average, you know, the win loss record is not that great. But yeah, yeah, if you do it twice. That is like such a Richter scale. Number. You're right. Yeah. Once, you know, you know, I can see, but twice is rarefied air. So I, I think, I think you're right. I think he's a, uh, I think he's a Hall of Famer. He's not a first ballot guy, but I think he'll get in. Um, one of the things that I really liked about rewatching this is some of the little tidbits I didn't catch or, or I mean if you had told me at the time I certainly would have cared wouldn't have cared about um, but you know what's funny is that in retrospect we can watch things and you know I God knows from you know March until March 2008 until I don't know the 2011 Super Bowl I loved watching little tidbits about this Super Bowl um I know that Rodney Harrison um, is so bitter about this game. He has not watched it, um, and he gets a lot of flack, apparently, for being the one making the tackle on David Tyree, but he was covering a busted coverage and trying to sprint to that spot, and he he bitches about it all the time if you look up interviews of him. He, He complains about it. I just noticed in this rewatch of it that he whiffed badly on the tackle on Kevin Boss that led to that long catch and run that he had that set up the David Tyree touchdown. So that was just, you know, that was that was the finger kiss right there for me. Yeah, I mean, anybody's gonna criticize him for the Tyree play? That's that's a little silly. I mean, well, yeah, that that is you know within the top five greatest catches of all time, and probably. The hardest catch to duplicate to replicate if you had to. I mean the the Beckham catch 
is an amazing, amazing catch. But you know something? That will happen again, that catch. The Tyree one, I don't think, you know, just the way his body was angled coming off of the Eli you know, scramble and everything, I don't think that will ever be. And also pop- remember that the quality of receiver. I mean, not to not to downplay David Tyree, I'm just saying the guy on the field who's who's probably the the fifth target even being seen in that scenario, being left alone, you know, it, it's we're not talking about the number one receiver on a free play and you know, granted he's being tackled while he makes the catch with three fingers and falls into the end zone. I get that. But he's still the number one receiver. He was the first round draft pick. Where we're talking about David Tyree here. Um the other thing I thought was really hilarious is on David Tyree's touchdown, it was Asante Samuel in coverage, which I didn't notice. And he just completely blew him off on the route. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, who is the GOAT, I'm not talking about the Tom Brady GOAT. I'm talking about just being a GOAT in a game. Asante Samuel is right there. I mean, he should have had that pick. You know that would have iced the game and 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 on the uh, the game winning drive for the Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but it's funny because that's always brought up, right? Is that you know, oh, you know, ninety nine times out of a hundred, Asante Samuel makes that pick. It's like, where was he in coverage on the touchdown? You know, nobody talks about that. I didn't even know that. Um, it's just that's just a funny, interesting thing for me. Um, the yeah. fact that uh, Randy Moss was complete nowhere man until you know the late touchdown? in the second half was. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is is how much you know. We could talk about this in the Act One, Act Two phase of this. Of we just see Bill Belichick's mind work the same way in a, in a certain sense. When when we look at the 2011 Super Bowl, it was very obvious that he was scheming his defense to eliminate Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz and make. Mario Manningham the target and make tight ends like Jake Ballard and Bear Pasco be the target in the in the air game and that is really what just completely stalled this off I mean Plaxico Burris was pretty much a nowhere man and you could see you know when you went through that that final drive like all those back foot throws that was Eli trying to force things to Amani Toomer and Plaxico Burris he really you know, Steve Smith was a rookie, a, a virtual unknown with how good he would be, and David Tyree was he was hurt. Remember, he was hurt for yeah. a while. He came he came back and played late in the season. Right. So I mean, that was really his plan then, and it stayed his plan in 2011. And really, it came down to those players making plays when they had to. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting, having rewatched the game. Hmm. Um. I know, just more observations going back to more of my memory of, of being there as opposed to the actual broadcast was, um, you know, I've been to three giant Super Bowls, and that game, it really felt being there like you were at a real game with real fans. I know the one in Tampa for Baltimore, that really felt like you were at a corporate event. Why is that? Uh, well, just it, it, it was. The tickets were very expensive, and it just was like it didn't seem like there's as many fans, but more people who got tickets, rich people who got tickets through somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. The game in Arizona was a lot of 
guys wearing jerseys, lots of guys with their sons. Mm-hmm. Like they're obviously they were fans and they may have been season ticket holders or just fans. So that stadium was loud and it was about 50, 50, you know, the um, giants, you know, the Super Bowls I've been to have always had big crowds. Uh, the one in uh, Tampa was almost like 70, 30, I'd say, but it really was, you know, once you, once you get past all the pageantry and all the bullshit and all the pregame and everything and you start playing, there's really no difference between being at a Super Bowl versus at a regular game until you get to halftime. And that gets that feels weird. But the actual game itself is a game. You know, it's the same that the timeouts and everything. And, you know, you don't get to see, you don't see the Super Bowl commercials at a game. But I just remember being at that game going, this place is going to burst at the scenes because there's two fan bases that are are real fan bases and are really into this right now. And I do you remember any like, uh, you know, you and I have have been on the train leaving MetLife Stadium, and there's some real heated moments with visiting fans. None of that, right? No, it's, it's. I mean, this is a completely different. Now they are both fans, but you don't have you know Johnny Bag- No Neck. Yeah. yeah, Joey Bag of Donuts from you know Long Island. It just wants to pick fights after the game, and it just you know. If, I've been tailgating for 12 hours and, you know, are completely hammered and just ready to, or belligerent. I mean, it was, well, first of all, there's no mass transit in Phoenix. So everybody parks in this enormous parking lot around the stadium, but the people who are going to this, you know, they're, they're not looking for trouble. They're, they're, you know, a little more well healed than, you know, they can afford to go out there for something like that. So it was, I didn't see one fight anywhere. Um, no arguing or anything like that. No, no. I think when you go to a Super Bowl, it's business. I mean, you as a fan, I know for me, I've been to, you know, the Super Bowls and national championship games and all and all the like. And the time for all the yapping is over. I mean, you're there. You're on a business trip. You're there to win the championship, and that's kind of like how it was felt before the game. It wasn't tense like a big regular season college football game, for example, but it was certainly, we're ready to do this. And after the game was over, giant fans were happy because they won. They weren't like, ah, fuck you, it's Boston, or screw you, Brady, or not even really like 18-1 things or nothing. It was just like, we're just happy we won. And I saw some devastated New England fans. There was this kid sitting next to me with his dad. He was a Patriot fan. He was probably nine, somewhere around there with his dad. And as soon as Plesko caught that touchdown, this kid burst into tears. He knew it was over. And I remember there was a couple of Giant fans behind me who were like, they weren't taunting the kid, but they were definitely saying more. And I just turned to him like, hey, guys, wait two minutes and then we'll go nuts just let this kid be, you know? And they were like, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. They're fine. And then as soon as the kid that left with his dad, we all just had a big party and, you know, but it was just like, it was the feeling of like, I can't believe we just won and the relief and everything was just, it's just a great emotion. It's interesting. Um, a friend of mine, yeah, my, my best friend actually was going to school in Boston at the time. So he was in Boston when it happened. And he said that like, it was the kind of thing where the next morning when people went to get, you know, like a, a bagel or something at the coffee shop, like it was just this, there was no talking. 
It was well, just kind re- of like... I can relate to that because in 2003, I was working on a project in Boston. And it was my first week on the project was the week of the 2003 ALCS. That's the Aaron Boone game. Mm-hmm. So I was up there for games five and six. And then game seven was a Thursday. And now remember now, I anyone who knows me, I know I am not a Yankee fan, but I did not want to be in Boston for game seven. I'd rather the Yankees win than the Red Sox win. So I left work early, drove back down to New York and watched that game seven at a bar in the village. And when Boone hit that home run, it was delirium. But all I could think about was I can't wait to get back to Boston the next Monday. And when I got back up there and went to the office, it literally felt like a funeral. (laughs) People were not talking. It was, I was the only person in there who didn't care. And I wasn't like, you know, Again, this is back when the Devil Rays were god awful. We had our season ended in May every year, but you could see it how invested the city of Boston is with their teams when they're making big runs. Mm-hmm. And this is this is back during prime curse time and all that stuff. And it was just you know, so I can I can definitely relate to and understand how they felt after that. But you know something? Fuck them. They're childs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's just funny how we all have different perspectives. I was I was here in New Jersey. You were at the bowl, uh, and and a friend of mine was you know living on Boylston Street in in South. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's not South. That's like the Back Bay. Um, right. Yeah. And we all had completely different perspectives. Um, Where do you put that game, Grump? In your now, everybody, Grump is younger than me. Yeah. So, um, where do you put that game in your? greatest giant victories of your life second highest and and I have good reason for it um, this was a time in my life where I was really really invested in school um, I was taking more credits than anybody should while working more hours than anybody should I, th- I, I said this on Twitter actually I was I was taking upwards of 17 credits going to school six days a week while working 42 hours a week and uh, whenever I say that out loud, I have to remember, like, I, I don't remember how I was able to do that. Um, so this whole season, I don't I, – I didn't watch. And I have no shame in saying that. You know, I was doing something important. Um, but I wasn't able to follow the season. I didn't even know that they were in a playoff run until they were in the playoffs. When, when really before the playoffs, you know, right around Christmas break, you know, so the very end of the season I was aware of. Um, I did watch the Week 17 game at home. Um and I watched the entire playoffs as much as I could. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, work permitting and things like that. So this game for me would have been the verse impo- most important. It is now the second most important because I wasn't really invested in the whole season. But what it did do is it made me – this victory made me invest time in, in, in the team that makes me happy, in the sport that makes me happy. This was the game that, that made me focus more on things that make me happy. Um, so I, I got very into the Giants and, and do all the things that I do now. I just didn't have a podcast at the time. But all the, the back work stuff I do on looking at college players that could make the team better and, you know, what are the free agent guys we should target and who can we cut to save money, all that shit I started doing right after this game. Yeah, I mean, everybody who listens to this show now, and we're grateful you do, but, 
you know, this is our fourth year doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've really been doing this podcast for 10 years. We really? Never, yeah. we, we just never did it into headphones and a microphone and hit record before. I mean, this was basically what we did for, you know, for 10 years or so. So. Right, and, and because of that, uh, the 2011 one is the most important for me because I was invested in that from, you know, the 2010, you know, season falling to shit with you at a, at a Christmas party. Right. You know, as we watched the Miracle of the Middlelands two happen in front of us, all the way through to that Super Bowl. You know, I was invested in every moment of it, every game I went to that I could. I don't think I attended every home game that year, but I I did my best. You know. And I remember every stupid detail about that season. I remember the, that um, I went to the game with you when they played Miami, and it was right after it snowed in in October or something. And so I had to park at the stadium, which I didn't have a parking pass for, but they let me because nobody showed up. It was a virtually empty game because it was right after a blizzard. You know, I remember all the stupid details about that 2011 season. So... That's you know it, it skewed for me um, in, in you know just because I was in college at the time. I'm gonna say it's my second biggest ever, also because um, my biggest was the uh, the the the, uh, the Buffalo Super Bowl. I mean that was a very seminal year in my life. That was my freshman year in college. You know you're you're 18. Home you know. I've been living in Florida now, I guess like it was four years or so. So, you know, back then they didn't have the NFL ticket. So you don't get to watch the Giants every week. You know, obviously we we had won the first Super Bowl the year before I moved to Florida. So I obviously watched every game then. But that season was big because I would go every Sunday to the old Joe's Deli on 34th Street in Gainesville. If anybody out there who who's A – a Gator fan along as a Giant fan, and B, whatever was in Gainesville in the early 90s, remembers Joe's Deli. But that had satellite, and I used to go every Sunday. I couldn't drink. I was 18, but, you know, I'd go, and I'd get my club sandwich and my Coke, and another buddy of mine who I'm still friends to this day with, you know, we, we'd go every Sunday and watch, and I was super, super invested in that team. And that playoff run, you know, the – uh the third and 16 play against Minnesota and then the playoffs and, you know, that, that NFC championship game against San Francisco. I mean, going into that Super Bowl, I mean, I, and the thing was, it was in Tampa, the Gulf war had just started. Remember being in a dorm room with like 15 people in there, me and my one buddy, another friend who's a giant fan and 12 people rooting against the giants because I liked them, you know, Back then we had no money, so we would bet like pizza because pizza was basically currency in college. So. Well, pizza wasn't even pizza in Florida. I've had your five star pizza. Trust me. This is, this is not even five star. This is crappy little Caesars that was made on campus. <laughs> really shitty. So we would, uh, you know, you'd bet. You know, instead of like, oh yeah, I'll bet you, uh, I'll bet you a five, uh, a little Caesars. You're on. So, and just. When Norwood missed that kick, it was just a feeling of, you know, the investedness I had in that whole season leading up to that one game was just like, you know, that elevated me from being a Giants fan to a, you know, lifelong diehard from that point. So this is, you know, going to be the uh, 30th anniversary of that season. And, you know, that still always be number one to me, that, that second Super Bowl. That's pretty fair. 
anybody who listens, uh, you know, really interested to see what where where does this 2007 Super Bowl rank for you? Um, you know, we're all different age groups, but we're all fans, and this was certainly one of the most exciting Super Bowls for anybody who was watching. It was very, very well, um, I don't want to say televised, but uh, a lot of people watched it, I think. Oh, sure, yeah. I, I mean, even among the Super Bowl standard, it was one of the highest viewed. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yeah, well, I mean, you got the Giants are a huge fan base. You have a very popular Patriot team. You have a team about to go undefeated. Mm-hmm. Which makes even more interest, and uh, yeah, it was it was a massive, massive ratings. You know, Fox always had better ratings than the other networks. Just more people watch football on Fox, you know, because of the NFC and the better, you know, cities that it, you know, has bigger population bases. And yeah, it was just, it was enormous. Yeah. And it, uh, who knows what the you know the, how NFL history could have changed if the Patriots won that game. You know, it would have been an undefeated team. They would have won back to back. You know, who yeah. knows how many rings they would end up with? Who knows if, you know, the Brady and uh, uh, Belichick, you know, duo, how much longer they would have lasted if they had more success earlier on, um, the decisions that were made post. So, yeah, it's just uh, it was just a great game and just a great uh, a great memory. So let us know. Let us know where this ranks for you and and what your number one is if this wasn't it. Um. And uh, next week, we're going to go over our last position group, which is the interior offensive line guys, guards, and centers. And that will be it for our position review. And then we'll get settled for our, I guess, our mock draft episode, if you want to call it that. You know, recap mock draft kind of thing. Yes, yeah. Kind of like who we would pick. If we were Dave Gettleman, who, you know, what would we be targeting and what we would pick? So. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And as always, this this uh, this show can be found on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud and Google Play, all those wonderful places. And you can even find it on Twitter at Just Giants Pod. You can find me on Twitter at football underscore Grump, where I focus a little bit more on the draft right now and prospects and things of that nature. So you can give me a follow there. Follow me as always at the Cranky Fan, where I'm talking about. Uh... Obviously, Giants football, you know, just trying to keep myself from being completely bored. So, you know, I've been watching Ozark. Great show. Uh, you know, maybe we'll do a quick Tiger King recap next week for the bonus episode. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> hey, man, we're in week five now. We got to find ways to amuse ourselves. So, <laughs> All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.